Storms are an inevitable part of life. What I mean by storms uh, is some form of suffering, some form of affliction or pain or discomfort. When it comes to storms, it's not if, it's when. They're inevitable. And I found in my life that uh, what I want God to do when I experience a storm is still the storm. I want him to end it so that I don't have to endure it. Or I want God to take me around the storm so that I don't have to go through it. But I've learned that God typically doesn't do either of those. Typically what God does is take me right through the storm. And he has uh, real purposes for that, and we're going to talk about those purposes this morning. But maybe you're in a major storm right now. Maybe you're lonely and it feels like there's no one you can depend on. Or maybe you're having relationship issues or marital problems. Maybe you're single and you desire to be married, but you haven't met the right person yet. Maybe it's a faith issue. Maybe you're struggling with with your faith. Maybe it's a storm that you've created, and I'm talking about maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe there's a sin you've been battling and you've confessed over and over and over again your sin, but you can't seem to prevail against it. Maybe someone you love is battling addiction and you don't know when you're going to get that fateful call that something terrible happened. Maybe it's a family issue where there's deep pain involved, or maybe you lost a loved one recently and you're suffering from that. Or maybe it's a work issue or a financial issue. I mean, storms take all different forms. But maybe you're in a storm right now. And if you're in a storm right now, I can't guarantee you that God will take you out of the storm. But here's what I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you that God will never get out of the boat. You get what I'm saying? I can't tell you God's going to take you out of the storm. So often he doesn't do that when we want him to. But I can guarantee you that he will not get out of the boat. Now you can choose to get out of the boat. You can choose to stop trusting him and try to do it your own way or seek comfort in other things. I want to strongly tell you this morning, don't do that. Don't do that. Remain under the storm, and trust that never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. And that is the take-home message this morning. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The God of all comfort never abandons his children. The God of all comfort never abandons his children. We are in a new letter this morning in 2 Corinthians, but Paul is speaking to the same church And when you look at Paul's letters, typically you can get a good idea of some of the themes of that letter by looking at the first few verses, okay? So look at verse 3 with me. I'm going to read it for us, and we're going to talk about it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Stop there. So this verse, verse 3, tells us that God is the God of all comfort. And interestingly, that is the only time you see the phrase God of all comfort in the entire Bible, right here. And so this book 
focuses a lot on God's comfort. You know, 2 Corinthians is Paul's most emotional and most personal letter in the Bible. We've been taught to think that emotion is a bad thing. We need to shun that. You know, it can't be a part of our lives. But God created emotion. Emotion is not a bad thing. And through Paul's redeemed emotion, uh, we get a deep well in 2 Corinthians of comfort and encouragement for our seasons of suffering. You know, I will tell you that 2 Corinthians alongside 2 Timothy are my favorite New Testament letters. And this book has been immensely encouraging to me when I get discouraged. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I get to preach the first four chapters of it. So I'm really excited to do that. But let's, let's dive into this letter. This word comfort uh, is the Greek word paraklesis. Paraklesis, okay? This word means consolation or encouragement. Okay, the God of encouragement. The God who consoles us. And Paul uses the word comfort 25 times. 19 of the 25 times Paul uses this word is in 2 Corinthians, okay? So 2 Corinthians deals a lot with comfort. And 10 of those 19 times are in these five verses. So these verses this morning deal a lot, a lot with God's comfort. Like I said, uh, I can't guarantee you God will take you out of the storm but the Bible promises some provisions of God in the storm. And we're going to talk about three provisions of God in the midst of trials, in the midst of storms this morning. And I hope whatever is going on in your lives that you might experience the comfort of God this morning. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. In the midst of trials, God provides comfort in all our affliction. God provides comfort in all our affliction. Look at verse 4. It says this about the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It says that God comforts us, but there is something attached to that comfort. He comforts us in our affliction. What does that word affliction mean? Well, the word literally means oppressing, oppressing together. Affliction means pressure. It's, it's what Paul meant when he said, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. In other words, affliction means when the world is pressing in on us. That's what Paul's talking about. And Paul is not uh, bringing this out of thin air. This is not some hypothetical affliction situation. Paul knew very well what affliction felt like. And if you look at verses 8 and 9 of this exact same chapter, look what Paul says. He says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul wasn't just burdened, he was utterly burdened. 
He wasn't just utterly burdened. He was utterly burdened beyond any strength that he had. He wasn't just utterly burdened beyond any strength he had. He was despairing of life itself. He says he even thought he'd receive the sentence of death. He thought he was going to die. He thought the pressure was going to crush him. But he said there was a purpose in it. He said it was to make him rely not on himself, but on God. And a really important question we need to ask this morning is what do we do when we suffer? Really, there's three responses to suffering. The first response is what I would call the religious response. What empty religion does in a response. A person who is religious apart from Christ has a transactional relationship with God. There's this transactional relationship for a religious person where they say, if I live a good life, if I live a comfortable, good life, if my goods outweigh my bads, then God owes me something. God owes me a good and comfortable life in return. And if you've lived long enough, you know that that's just not how life goes. God will change plans. God will allow suffering to enter your life. And so for the religious person, there is an undercurrent of anger at God. Because they don't think God is holding up his end of the bargain. And eventually, the religious person will likely rebel and leave God. We don't want to do that when we suffer. The second response is what I would call irreligion, the absence of religion. This is the person who says, uh, there's no meaning in the suffering anyway, so let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's seek our comfort in a drink or a drug or some other way because none of this has any meaning anyway. That's irreligion. But there's a third response that uh, we should make. This is what I would call the gospel response. And this is the response Paul made. The gospel response when suffering hits our life is to say, God doesn't owe me anything. In fact, he's already given me far more than I deserve in the costly, gracious sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And out of thankfulness, I serve him. And it's not a transactional relationship like religion. It's a loving relationship of fatherly love, where we, as we go through the storm, we know God is with us in the boat, comforting us all the way in our affliction. And it also says there is a purpose in the suffering. The purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. And so as we become more like Christ, we press into God for comfort, knowing that he's already given us so much. So maybe the question we should be asking when we suffer is not why, it should be what. Not why am I suffering, but God, what are you allowing me to suffer for? What do you want to do through this? We want to have a gospel response, amen? In the midst of trials, God provides comfort in all our affliction. Here's the second one. In the midst of trials, God provides Christ in all our sufferings. Christ in all our sufferings. Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So just as Christ is the center of our lives, Christ is in the center of these verses, 
And it's interesting how it says, for as we share and abundantly in Christ's sufferings. You know, as I look at my journey with Christ, I think sometimes I've made the mistake of thinking that if I do things the Lord's way, everything will go according to my plan. And it doesn't go that way. I think about plans here at Prairie Bible Church. When Prairie Bible Church was looking for a building, uh, what Mark and Tom told me, they said, uh, we had one criteria. We did not want our building to be in an industrial area. So that's exactly where God put Prairie Bible Church because that's what he does. So we should expect to suffer. We should expect to be uncomfortable. We should expect God to change our plans. I think about when I was in Michigan starting uh, in ministry. I, I found a seminary. I was sold out for the Lord and probably was pretty naive about what ministry was about at that point. But I found this church in Michigan and I loved this church. I still love this church. And when I was in that church, I remember joining a small group and then they asked me to lead a small group and They asked me to come and prep sermons with them, and that is where I fell in love with the process of of prepping sermons. And uh, they asked me to preach for the first time, and that's where I fell in love with preaching, as you can probably tell. And God raised me up in that church. And I don't know if it was conscience or subconsciously, but I just assumed that that's where I was going to build my life. You know, I was going to live near my mom. She lives in Michigan and works in ministry up there. And everything was going to be sunshine and roses. Well, as you can probably imagine, that's not how it went. You know, God made clear over time that that was not where he was going to have me long term. And I look back and I'm thankful for that. But in the midst of that process, because we can't see the future like God can, it was very distressing. I didn't know what was next. And I called uh, my mentor who's been a pastor for decades and I confided in him about this and I said, you know, why, why can't God just plant me here? <laughs> why do I have to go through this? In other words, why do I have to go through the storm? And he said this to me, and I'll never, I'll never forget this. He said, Billy, God could do things the normal way, but he often chooses the abnormal way. God could do things the natural way, but he often chooses the supernatural way. And I said, why? <laughs> And he said to me, he said, Billy, so that you know that it's a story about God and it's not a story about you. You know, I'll speak for myself on this one. If if everything went according to my plans, I might trust myself a little too much. I think about King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, Babylon. He, He was the king over Babylon and he's standing over the kingdom and he said, aren't I responsible for all this? And isn't that the pull of the pride in our heart that we want to trust ourselves? We don't want to depend on God. God knows that. He knows our hearts. And so when God changes your plans, when God does the thing you least expect, you should expect that. (laughs) Because that's how God works. And, And the way you respond to that is you trust him. You press into him. You seek him for comfort. But all of this begs the question, If this process is going to be uncomfortable and we are to press into Christ, what does that look like? Well, what I would say to that is you press into the one that Jesus sent. And I'm talking about the comforter, the Holy Spirit. 
In John chapter 16, uh, Jesus' disciples had grown sorrowful because Jesus had said that he was going to go away. This was the man that they were raised up under. This was their leader. This was their Lord. And they were sorrowful. And Jesus said in, in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's an amazing statement. That is Jesus saying, it is beneficial for you if I leave. I mean, it's pretty good to have Jesus walking through life with you, right? But this speaks to the incredible power and comfort that we have in the Holy Spirit, and I think that we underestimate that woefully often. I know I do. This word paraclete in John 16 is a notoriously hard word to translate. Uh, It's it's hard to put a single word on it because it's so rich. It can mean advocate, counselor, helper, strengthener, assister, standbyer. I love that one, standbyer. He's just always standing by our side. But what does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you'll have time to write all these things down, but, but just listen to me on this. This is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, okay? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God, of equal divinity with the Father and Son, equal of worthy honor and praise with the Father and Son. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a person with a personality who thinks and feels and wills. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is humble and selfless in character. Every time you try to find the Holy Spirit, he says, look at them. Look at the Father and the Son. Don't look at me. The Holy Spirit is an instructor instructing us in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is a revealer making Christ and the work of Christ known to us. The Holy Spirit is a sanctifier convicting us of sin and leading us into a life of holiness. The Holy Spirit is a witness, bearing witness to you and I that we have been adopted and we are truly sons and daughters of the Most High God. The Holy Spirit is a sealer, a down payment given to us by God, sealing us in Christ as we await Christ's return. I love this next one and I'm very thankful for it. The Holy Spirit is a buyer, not a renter. He takes up permanent residence in the Christian and stays with us forever. And the Holy Spirit is a comforter, remaining with us in the midst of the storm, holding our hand through it. Christians, we have this Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? This Holy Spirit lives in us. God lives in us. It's like one pastor shared with me. He said whenever he was suffering, he would cry out to the comforter. The reason it says God of all comfort is because God contains all the comfort in the world. All of it comes from him like everything else. Don't underestimate what you have in the Holy Spirit. In the midst of trials, God provides comfort in all our affliction. In the midst of trials, God provides Christ in all our sufferings. And here's the third one, the last one. In the midst of trials, God provides Christians for all our journey. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. 
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So, up until this point, we've talked about the vertical relationship between us and God in the midst of storms. Okay, we are going through this storm. God is with us. He's imminent with us. He's also transcendent far above us. And we have this relationship with God where we seek him in a storm. He provides comfort for us. But God doesn't just bless you so that you can walk around a blessing. That's a good thing and and that's part of it. But he blesses you to be a blessing to others. This isn't just a vertical thing. This is a horizontal thing. God wants you to receive things from him and turn around and help others with the same things. And that answers the question, why do we have to go through this? Have you ever done that in the middle of a storm? Like, why does it have to be so hard, (laughs) right? Well, one of the reasons is that so we can turn and provide comfort for others who endure the same situations on their journey. I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I never suffered. How could I help anyone who's suffering? You know, God never squanders our suffering. What that means, he never wastes it. He always uses it. And he doesn't just use it to make us more like Christ. He uses it for others. He wants us to help others along their journey in the same way we've been helped along our journey. Maybe you're enduring a lot of suffering this morning or maybe you have endured a lot of suffering in life. I would just encourage you to ask God uh, the question, who is this for? Right? I know it's for me, but who else is it for? Who needs help with the same things? You know, once we stop looking at ourselves too much and we put our eyes out, there's usually a lot of people who need help with those things. It's hard to comfort a Christian who lost their job if you've never lost your job. It's hard to comfort a Christian who just lost a loved one and is suffering if you've never lost a loved one and suffered. It's hard to tell a Christian that their faith will cost them something if your faith has never cost you anything. This is part of the deal. We will suffer, but it will draw us closer to God. It will make us more like Christ, and God will use it to help the next person who suffers. I think about, when I think about this, I think about Peter, the apostle Peter. And you know, Peter was in the upper room with Jesus, and he was so adamant that he was not going to reject him. But Jesus knew. And Jesus said an amazing thing to Peter. He said, Peter, when I have restored you, turn around and strengthen the brethren. He said, Peter, when I bring you through this storm, it's not just to get you through the storm. It's so that when you get to the other side, you can turn around and help others through the storm. I remember when uh, Peter, he went out weeping bitterly and he went back to fishing because he just totally failed. And then Jesus was on the beach at the end of the Gospel of John and I love Peter's response. He saw Jesus on the beach and everybody else was bringing the boat in but Peter was you know, doing the 100 meter freestyle to the beach to see Jesus. And when he got there, Jesus asked Peter, 
Do you love me? Three times. But do you remember what Jesus said after that? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. He said, Peter, when I've brought you through this storm, you turn around and you strengthen other Christians. And that is God's call and command to us. Because God will bring you out of your season of suffering. He will do it. When he's done with his work in your heart, in your life, he'll bring you out. And then when you're not in a season of suffering, pinch yourself because another one's probably coming. But God wants to use that so that you can point others to the cross and to Christ, the only true antidote when we're suffering. And so in conclusion, the God of all comfort never abandons his children. And in the midst of trials, in the midst of storms, God provides comfort in all our affliction, Christ in all our sufferings, and Christians for all our journey. Band, you can come up. You know, something that Pastor Craig and I always try to do is to remind us of the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning or you're listening online and you're trying to overcome storms without Christ, you have no chance. But there's an amazing thing that happens when you accept the gracious and free gift of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. You become a part of something greater than yourself. And something that is amazing about being a Christian is you are never alone again. Listen, for people who don't believe in Christ, they might have thousands of friends, but they are truly alone because they don't have God in their hearts. But as a Christian, I don't care if you have one friend or a hundred friends, you're never alone again because you have the comforter in your heart. So if you've never made that decision, don't leave here today without accepting the gracious and free and costly gift of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Take your faith, hope, and trust out of your own finished work and put it in the finished work of Christ And you will become a part of something far greater than yourself. And you will always have someone with you in the storm. Amen.